Hello and welcome to the Law Deals Podcast, where we discuss law firm succession plans, profitable law partnerships, and law firm purchases and sales. I'm your host, Ed Alexander. I practiced transactional business law for 30 years, have my own practice, Alexander Business Law, and am a principal with Fitzgibbon Alexander, a business intermediary firm. We're on a mission to make sales of law firms commonplace so you can enjoy your practice and your life. Hello, and welcome to the Law Deals Podcast. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about compensation plans and how compensation plans can crater a law firm exit. So this episode came about out of a conversation I had with a client a few months back. The client uh, owned a high net worth estate planning practice uh, where they provided services for individuals uh, who had substantial assets. The office was designed around catering to these individuals. So obviously it was a relatively nice office. They provided ancillary things such as coffee, beverages, things that would be over and above what a typical law firm would provide to their clients. Really focused on service, the kind of service that high net worth individuals would expect to receive. And the owner had developed this practice over a number of years and had, in that course of that, added people to the practice, various attorneys. And he was looking to both incentivize those attorneys to increase the profitability of the firm, but also, being in his mid-50s, looking to set up a succession plan so he didn't have to worry about uh, should anything happen to him and also everything would be set up. He didn't plan on retiring right away. It was probably a 10 to 15 year window. Uh, but those two things combined together uh, made him come to us and we kind of talked. Uh, so ultimately, when we do these types of engagements, we go through a journey and that journey includes what I call the reality check. And basically in the reality check, we're looking at where the firm is now and where it needs to go to achieve the owner's goals, whatever those goals are. And part of that process is a, an in-depth analysis of the firm from a financial perspective, from a value driver's perspective. One of the things that is a value driver includes the in-place team, but that also obviously because labor is the most, the largest typically a component of expenses in any law firm, uh, we want to look at the team. We want to find out what are they doing, where are they, how are they being compensated. And all of that really factors in, in this case, into the price that uh, the firm, the, the individuals buy in to the firm from the current owner. In the course of that, we kind of went over uh, the various employees and came across one key senior attorney. And we kind of talked about the attorney and the individual said, uh, the, the owner said to me, well, I really had to give that person a sweet deal to get him to come over. So I asked, of course, about what that sweet deal was. And they were talking about it being 50% of collected fees from that senior attorney. And that is a pretty large portion. But it got even worse because if the attorney brought in the matter then uh, the fees, the compensation for that matter, went up to 70% of the collected fees. 
And it occurred to me right then and there that the attorney was making more than the owner was on these fees. And the reason is what the rule of three. I'm going to get into the rule of three in a second. Now, I want to be sure to make, I want to be sure to state that what I'm going to go through here is not only for hourly billing firms, right? We're going to talk about collected fees based on production. And every single firm that employs an attorney or a paralegal has a situation where they're getting fees based on uh, the employee doing productive work. So while we're while we'll be talking this in generic, think about this, whether on a case by case method or on a time period method. If if your team doesn't track time, then doing this on a time period method may be the way to go, but certainly worthwhile to take a look at on a case by case basis. The other thing I'm not really going to get into here is the allocation of collected fees for matters where there are multiple hands touching that matter. Uh, multiple billers, multiple productive uh, personnel working on that matter. That's a topic for another day, and that can get pretty complicated to see, you know, what allocation there should be of those fees. But that's an important point of, of putting this all together. So let me get into the rule of threes. If you haven't heard it before, the rule of three is a rule relating to compensation. So when I pay an individual let's just say $150,000 a year, then my expectation is that they're going to collect fees equal to three times their compensation, at a minimum, three times their compensation. And that means that I will then allocate a third of what they bring in, a third in this case of the $450,000 to overhead, a third to compensation, and a third to profit. So again, 150,000, if we pay them, we're going to have 150,000 allocated to overhead and 150,000 allocated to profit so that they should be bringing in a total of 450,000. Now, in some cases, the rule of three can morph into the rule of four. And the rule of four, we'll get into in a second, but that really reflects a situation where there's higher overhead. So what is overhead? Overhead are all the things that are not related to direct labor for the client. The direct labor to produce the client is outside of overhead. That is actually a direct cost. Overhead are all the ancillary costs that are used to support that direct labor. So for example, the receptionist, the firm manager, all of the team that are devoted to supporting the firm, but do not bill for clients or do not produce outcomes for clients, right? Um, the tax burden of the law firm for all of its employees, so payroll taxes, including the payroll taxes, FICA and Medicare associated with the billing uh, or productive employees, so attorneys, paralegals, that kind of thing. It includes rent, utilities, insurance, marketing, all of the things that support the production. Um, and if you're an owner and you're partially working on management and partially uh, on the business, the time that you're working on management and on the business work that you're compensated for is also overhead compensation and not direct labor compensation. Okay. So as I mentioned, the rule of four is a little bit different than the rule of three for situations where 
there is a high cost in, a, in an area where maybe you're paying a lot more rent or you're having to pay much, much higher salaries, the rule of four might come in. In the rule of four, you've got, uh, if you pay that person 150000 a year, as in my compensation, then your expectation is that they will produce $600,000 of collected fee revenue. And so half of that, 300000 goes to the overhead, and then a quarter of it, the one hundred fifty, then goes to profitability. So the key here is knowing what your overhead numbers are before getting into this. So let's circle back to the estate planning situation, right? So in the estate planning case, we had the attorney receiving one half of the build, the collected fees for the work he produced. Now, if we size that up against the rule of thirds, what we're going to find out is that we've lopped half of the profit off. So Whereas we had one half, or sorry, whether we whereas we had thirty three percent, one third, of the collected fee revenue as the profit, now we're only going to have a seventeen percent profit because the the overhead is not going to change. The overhead stays the same. That's one third plus fifty percent. We've basically used up eighty three percent of the collected fee revenue, compensating the attorney and also paying our overhead. So the only thing that's left for profitability is seventeen percent. Seventeen percent is not where you should be operating your firm. You should be at or above twenty percent. And if you're a small firm, really you want to be in the uh, you know thirty percent number. We'll talk about um, what that how to measure that amount in a future uh, episode. But that's called sellers' discretionary earnings or owners' adjusted net earnings. There, those are some terms that you would hear for that number. But at a 17% number, uh, that would be very low and not what we were looking for. Now, let's, that's the situation where the key attorney is just working matters that were brought in by other people into the firm. What happens when the attorney is working matters that he brought into the firm? Well, now the compensation has gone up to 70%. And our overhead still remains the same. It's still 33%. So basically now we have 103%. Well, obviously we can't go over 100% of the collected fee revenue. So what's happening is the owner is losing 3% on every one of those deals. So overall, the compensation arrangement is a problem because it actually negates value that's coming into the firm, right? Negates value that's coming into the firm. Alternatively stated, that senior attorney is actually making more money than the uh, firm owner in those types of deals. So obviously, that attorney doesn't pay for overhead. That attorney doesn't have to have any capital at risk. So as a result, that attorney is in a better position than the owner of the firm. And this is something, obviously, you want to avoid. Okay, so in the case of uh, where we've got this attorney and they're working and they're not originating, right? This is why I say the owner isn't making any money. In this case, this was in a high cost area. So we really would want to use the rule of four. And for this firm, if we used half overhead and half compensation, 
that means that at the end of the day, the owner of this firm is making zero, no money on any of the fees that are being produced by the uh, attorney, the key attorney uh, employee. And then if we jump this to 70% and 50%, then the owner is losing 20% on every uh, every matter that came into the firm that the key senior attorney has originated. Okay. So let's just kind of walk this back for a second here. I want you to understand that this is just a rule of thumb. You've got to use your real numbers. Now, the mistake that attorneys make when they're using their real numbers is that they are unrealistic in what the cost to service an attorney is. You can go low cost, but at the end of the day, you've got to add in, okay, we've got employment taxes. We should be providing uh, you know, some form of uh, benefits associated with it. Those go into the overhead number. Uh, are we, is the rent adequate? Are we doing adequate marketing? Are we at the right level of marketing that we should be at for a firm our size? The numbers, although you may run your firm lean in a, in a lean fashion, the numbers have to be real. They can't be these minimized numbers that uh, you hope to get by on a long term because that isn't going to necessarily create a firm that is a saleable firm, right? The other thing is once we set this, once we know what the compensation is, we also have indirectly set what the target fee collections are. And so that gives us an opportunity to say, how is it possible that this attorney can get to those target fee collections. What's required? Are they having to put in 2,000 hours? Because that isn't going to work. Are they having to put in uh, 1,000 hours? Or am I paying them so low that I start to make money when they get to you know six or 700 hours? And if that's the case, then obviously we need to have a bonus system in there because you don't want to underpay them. The market is going to, they're going to know what the underpayment is and the market's going to come in and take away the good people because they'll compensate them properly. So you want an appropriate compensation. So if you're paying a low initial salary, then you want to get out there with a bonus system or a participatory system for them to, uh, to actually uh, make the compensation that's market compensation, maybe even above market compensation if they're good. Uh, doing this allows management to really take a look at the numbers and to know when people are on track and off track. Rather than waiting for the end of the year, this should be done on certainly a quarterly basis and potentially even a, um, a monthly basis if you keep your numbers that way. It'll give you the idea to or give you a, a knowledge about where you are in this system and will that person be able to make up. So if, if, if uh, an attorney is low on their collections for two, three, four months, the ability to make that up over the balance of the year uh, really starts to go down. And then we've got to take a look at what's going on here. Why are they low and what can we do about it, if anything? Um, the best part, again, it, it, it accurately compensates the team for the labor. We've got to take a look at um, right-sizing the value, uh, the compensation value, so that you're at market. And then that will push down profit and make the firm operate the way it should, right? 
if if for some reason somebody isn't productive, that's going to get highlighted and you're going to be able to either adjust or replace whatever works. And it accurately compensates the owners for their risk capital, right? You're taking a risk by owning a firm. There is absolutely no reason you should not get uh, profit in return for that risk capital. So a question that often comes up is the one around origination. And so before getting into the origination discussion, I think it's important to have uh, your philosophy in mind, right? Sometimes uh, we want the individual approach. We want everybody out there trying to get as much business as they possibly can. On the other hand, we want to do a, sometimes people want to do a team approach. And so if you're going to do the individual approach should absolutely positively pay for origination compensation because what you pay for is what you're going to get. On the other hand, if you're on a team approach, if you believe that everybody should work together to create the firm, then it might be better rather than compensating for origination is to compensate on general profitability. And maybe there are some points or some objective criteria that allows somebody to participate a little bit higher uh, based on them bringing in a certain amount of uh, matters and a certain origination. Now, if you are going to go with paying origination compensation, it's very important to know that there really are two steps in that origination. If the attorney is going to achieve their target fee collections, um, then the rate at which you share can be higher than if they're not going to realize that, right? Uh, what we don't want them to do is to be in a position where you expect them to generate client work and fees associated with the client work, only to have them substituting some of that compensation with compensation from origination. And so therefore, while I would give them benefit of origination, in that case, give them the benefit of the origination as a small bump, the larger bump would only come after they'd hit their target uh, fee collections so that you knew that they were focused on fee collections in the right proportion to generating new matters. Okay. So uh, other areas where you can do the bonuses here, uh, achieving firm goals. I think that the uh, firm goals piece, if, especially when you're doing the team approach, the, the, the firm goals piece can be really powerful here. And allocating points or you know some type of number to doing these things uh, is very important. So training junior personnel, implementing technology to improve the throughput or developing or improving workflow processes can add value to the firm as much as bringing in additional business to the firm. And so setting objective criteria and then compensating for those. Whatever you do, though, you've got to make sure everything is aligned with the firm goals because um, ultimately what you compensate is what you're going to get. The key here is you want to incentivize when it's not origination and you've got uh, particular bonuses, you want to incentivize for both the activities, but also the outcomes. Okay, so let's go back to the client um, estate planning firm. All right, so the realization out of this conversation was that the key attorney was already an owner. 
and really an owner in a position better than the actual owner of the firm, right? Because they had no nothing at risk and they received more money than the owner did on certain matters, perhaps most matters. The Therefore, the decision uh, that the owner had to make was, hey, can we change this compensation plan without losing the key attorney? It might be possible because unless the key attorney finds somebody else who's willing to compensate at this rate and maybe doesn't really appreciate their costs, uh, they may not be able to go somewhere else and get this deal. But it's also likely that they could do that or maybe the relationship gets damaged. And so, uh, you know, that, that attorney stops being the key attorney, stops doing the production the way they want. So, in that case, before we make this change, we need to make sure we understand what does the key attorney contribute and then what would it take to replace that contribution? Are we in a place to do that? Or do we have to suck it up and live with this for a while until we can get into a position where we can replace that? And so really important consideration here, do yourself a favor, make sure to, to understand your numbers, make sure that the compensation plan that you have for your attorneys, your paralegals, all producers reflects a rule of three, rule of four, and, you know, analyze that. And if it's not, I'm happy to talk to you about it, how you can change it and what the numbers in your firm looks like, look like. Thank you so much for listening and watching and uh, let me know if you have any questions. Again, I would really appreciate it. If you like this content, find it useful, go ahead and subscribe and leave me a five-star review. Thank you so much.